My name is Dixie, an alcoholic. <laughs> this always sounds like a good idea when it's actually a year ahead, you know. <laughs> but next thing you know, it's here, and uh, here I am. And uh, I really uh, am grateful to be here. Uh, I thank you for asking me to come here. It's a real privilege and an honor to be asked to come to an alcoholic anonymous meeting. And when I come to one of these, it's real, real special because a lot of people here really want sobriety. And, uh, uh, it's a real privilege and an honor. And if I was doing, when I was doing this program, if you told me I would be doing this, I would have told you you were crazy. <laughs> because when I was new, I couldn't even talk to people. I couldn't look you in the eye. Uh, I wouldn't give comments at discussion meetings. I would just say pass, and I'd shake apart just to say pass. Uh, because I was scared and I didn't like you very well. Uh, I was real ashamed of who I was. And I thought when I come in here, if you knew who I really was, you wouldn't want anything to do with me either. Uh, I know now uh, that you accepted me when I couldn't, and you loved me when I couldn't love myself. And I didn't understand a lot of that when I was new, but you told me to keep coming back. And like the speaker said last night, it took me a long time to trust people in the program. I think I started out trusting my sponsor first, then I trusted my home group, then I started letting other people in. Uh, my sobriety date is May 17, 1977, and my home group is Sobriety Plus Group on Tuesday night in North Canton, Ohio. And uh, I'm real, real grateful uh, to be sober today. And it seems like the longer that I'm sober, the more I want to be sober. And my definition of sobriety has changed a lot over the years since I quit drinking. Uh, when I was new, I thought if I just didn't drink, all the problems in my life would go away. Uh, now I know that there's a lot of the things I have to be willing to change in my life for me in order to be sober instead of just dry. And I've been dry many days in, in the days I've had in Alcoholics Anonymous. But my sponsor used to tell me, and he used to tell me, I didn't drink a day. That was a miracle in itself. And sometimes that's all I could do is just not drink. I was like stark raving sober many, many days. And uh, throwing fits and going crazy. Uh, I grew up in a small town, uh, 50 miles south of where I'm from. And it was smaller than where I'm from. Canton's pretty small compared to some of the cities around our area. But Freeport, there was only 500 people that lived in that town. And I used to say, well, if the gossips are going to talk about me, I'm going to give them something to talk about. <laughs> And I really believed that what I was saying and doing was, was true. And I, I blamed them a lot for my actions. I know today that if I, someone would act the way I did, I probably would have talked about them too. Uh, I grew up in a home where drinking was a way of life. Uh, my mom and dad were alcoholics by their own admission. Uh, I uh, don't blame them for my alcoholism. I'm an alcoholic because I have a disease. And I react differently to alcohol than other people. Uh, I'm not saying that I didn't have to get some help from some of the ways I learned how to live life because it didn't work very well without alcohol. Uh, I didn't know how to cope with life without alcohol. But I do know that when I was a kid, I swore I was never going to drink when I grow up. I'm never going to be like them. How my family had a good time was they'd get drunk, beat the crap out of each other, wake up the next day and not remember what happened. And uh, I used to say, if that did that to me, I wouldn't drink it. And uh, I never ever believed that this would ever happen to me. I know today that it's the greatest blessing that ever happened to me. And I know today that what seems to be the worst tragedies in my life always turn out to be my greatest blessings if I have the right attitude about them and I let God take charge of the outcome of them. Because I don't understand the ways of life sometimes. Sometimes life isn't fair. Sometimes things happen I don't like. But if I trust God and I clean house and I try to help others and keep this program in my life good, it always comes out of everything. My values and morals have changed a lot since I've been in this program. But one thing I can tell you through my drinking, I lost all my values and all my morals and all my principles that I live by. I didn't have any self-respect at all when I got here. 
I hated myself more than anybody else in the world. Uh, and I just knew that other people felt that way about me. I know today that I, I think other people think about me the way I think about me. And you taught me that. Anything I know about living life today, anything I know about anything that makes any sense, I got from you. Because <laughs> when I got here, I didn't know anything. I didn't know anything at all. And uh, until I got to that point, I couldn't be teachable anyway. But I drank all, I started drinking when I was 14 years old, and it was on a prom night, and uh, I went out with a bunch of kids, and everybody was drinking, so I joined them, and I had two beers, and that's all I had, and I remember how many, because I was real afraid of what it would do to me. After that night, I lost my fear immediately, and I started going to get drunk. <laughs> and I went every weekend and got drunk. And I blacked out when I was 14 years old. And I don't know why I did that, I just did that. I think I was in the middle stages of alcoholism when I was 14. I did violent when I was 14. I got kicked out of bars when I was a teenager. Um, I used to think I was cool because I drank alcohol, smoked cigarettes, and cussed and got into fights. And I thought that made me somebody real special. I also know that uh, it doesn't make you a lady. And I wanted people to respect me. But I didn't respect myself, so I didn't have respect from other people. I didn't live respectful. I didn't know how to after I started drinking. It got worse and it got worse and it got worse. I remember... Um, when I was in, in high school, uh, I got in trouble in school. They told me they thought I had a drinking problem, and I cussed them out and told them they were picking on me. I knew they cared about me, and they were trying to help me, and I wouldn't listen to that. I thought everybody was always picking on me. The one thing I did real good all my life was blame other people for my problems. They always did it to me. I don't know who they were a lot of times, but they did it to me. And I never took responsibility for my own actions. And I think one of the greatest freedoms I've ever gotten in this program is the ability to take responsibility for my actions and don't have to blame people's places and things anymore for what's wrong with me. No matter what's going on in my life, no matter if someone even does something to me, there's still a part I played in putting myself in that situation. And it's a real freedom and it takes a real load off my shoulders to, to be able to take an inventory of me. And sometimes I see things real clear and sometimes I don't. Uh, it just depends on the situation and the circumstance. I continued to drink all through high school. I went from an A student to almost failing. I graduated in 1969, and I moved from that little town to Canton, Ohio. My mom and dad got divorced in, in 1967 when I was 16, and my mom left the state, and my dad got custody of us. And uh, we ended up moving to Canton when I was a sophomore. lasted three months. He couldn't handle me, so he let me move back home when my, all three of my grandparents had died in one year. My mom was living in my grandma's house. I came home from school one day and there was a note in $11 and she said she went to Texas with her boyfriend and she wanted me to move in with my girlfriend. And my girlfriend's dad was a practicing alcoholic, he was a wino. And, and we stayed with him and he drank muscatel wine. And, and I remember one time I got drunk on that muscatel wine and oh uh, god I never drank wine again as long as I lived. Uh, <laughs> I laid on the bed and the room was spinning round and round and round and, and I had my foot on the floor and I couldn't make it stop and I was getting real real sick. Uh, I drank all the time until I got in trouble with school. They said if I drank, cut one more day of school, they were going to put me in a detention center. And at that time, it wasn't real popular to go to the detention center. It wasn't an in thing to do. Uh, and so it scared me. So I started control, tried to control my drinking. And I remember being 17 years old and not having a drink for three weeks, was sitting on the bar school patting myself on the back celebrating because I hadn't had a drink for three weeks. I didn't think there was anything abnormal about that. I sat in bars with adults and drank with them when I was 15 or 14 years old. They served me anything that I wanted. I remember we used to have drinking contests and I would drink other people under the table. They'd pass out and I'd still be drinking. And I thought it was because I had a talent. I thought I was just real strong. Uh, I didn't think that there was anything abnormal about that. 
I know today that a social drinker, if they drank what I drank, it would kill them. But see, I'm an alcoholic, and I react differently to alcohol than other people do. And, and I've learned to accept that, and I'm grateful for that today. I am so grateful to be an alcoholic and, and to have this wonderful way of life, to have all these wonderful people in my life. And, and there's always more and more friends, and fa it's like family to me that I haven't met yet that just instantly accept me and love me. And, and like the speaker said last night about the bond between the alcoholics, the love between them, there's a bond there. It's unspoken, and you don't have to say it with words, there's just a knowing. You just know. And, and I feel that every time I come into a room of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I feel that whenever I'm around my friends or when I'm talking to them on the phone or, or any time I'm in their presence. I feel closer to the people in this program than I do my own immediate family because you understand me. And I'm free to be me with you. If I'm crazy a day, you understand that. You just laugh. Oh, I know when that happened to me, you know. Things I do that seem weird to other people make sense to you. And, and I like that. And, and it's real, real, real comforting to know I can always have a place to go where I'm going to be loved. And I've always starved for love all my life. All my life I was looking for love in all the wrong places, you might as well say. Uh, I, I always thought if I just met that right person to love me, we would just get married and we would live happily ever after. And I would never have to worry about anything ever again. And oh, I got married, but that didn't happen out. That didn't turn out that way, you know. Uh, but I, I continued to drink. I moved to Freeport my sophomore year. Graduated, came back to Canton my junior year, or senior year. Graduated. I moved in with a girlfriend that I met that I'd been working with. Her and I were both waitresses. Before I got to this program, I was always a waitress and a barmaid. I quit my job as a barmaid because I'd get drunk with the customers and quit work in the middle of the night in a blackout. And I always knew I was going to get fired, so I'd quit it before they fired me. The last four years of my drinking, I got fired every spring from my job. And I used to say it's because I had spring fever. <laughs> and the truth was, I'd go get drunk and I wouldn't come into work for a week and I wouldn't report off. And... Uh, they didn't like that very well. But you know, it was always their fault when I got fired. They didn't appreciate me. I worked harder than anybody else there, and I deserved more time off than anybody else there. So I always had a way of blaming someone else for my problems. Before I came to this program, I was being evicted from my apartment. I hadn't paid my rent for two months. I, I blew it all. And it was the landlady's fault I, was, I didn't pay my rent because she put a note on my door a day before the rent was due, and I didn't like anybody pushing me. You know. So I wouldn't pay her. But you know what? I got kicked out. So, you know, the outcome always came back on me, but I could always in my heart and in my mind believe that I was telling the truth. Believe that what I thought was right. Now, I heard a man leading one time and he said, alcoholics don't lie. They just tell you the way things should be. And I, and I really believe that too. I, I knew the answers for all the world's problems. I knew what would be right for everything. If people would just treat me right, I would be okay. But the plants would say, the only thing I ask from the world is treat me special. And, and, and that's what I ask from the world. Treat me special and I'll be happy. I always had to feel superior to feel equal. I never knew how to feel equal. The day I was born, I felt different than everybody in the world. I looked around and I thought, what's wrong with me? And I always came up short. And I always was comparing what I thought other people looked like on the outside with what I felt like on the inside. And I always thought, why can't I be like them? Why can't I look like them? Why can't I have their money? Why can't I have their parents? Why can't I be anything but who I am? And I, was, I became whoever people wanted me to become or whatever the occasion fit. If I was on Skid Row bars that night, I was Skid Row. You know? If I was in a high class bar, I was Miss High Society that night. I became whoever I was around. And I would watch people and copy them. 
And I never knew how to make decisions myself. I never wanted to because I could always blame somebody else whenever they made the wrong decision for me. Uh, I was very, very controlling. Uh, I always wanted everything to go my way, and I didn't want anybody to get in my way of my drinking. I continued, uh, when I moved in with the school and I graduated, uh, I met a man during this time, and this was my first date in the big city of Canton, coming from this little town of Freeport, and I was real impressionable. I'm like 17, 18 years old, and this guy's big and bad, and he's in a motorcycle gang, and he's always bragging about this one he whipped and that one he whipped, and you know, it's amazing to me after we got married, I never seen him whip anybody but me. <laughs> <laughs> We had the kind of relationship, I did as he said, or knocked my head off. It was that simple. Um, had a lot of trips to the emergency room with black eyes, chip bone in my jaw, busted face. Um, one time he stole a gun from my uncle and I tried to get him to take it back and he beat me in the face with the handle of a pistol like a, like a man. And I, well, when I came to, I was in the emergency room. And I want to tell you how sick I was. I, I, I lied and said he didn't do it. My sister took me to my dad's house and she didn't want to let me out of the house because she didn't want me going back with him. And I got in a physical fist fight with her to go back to this man, okay? And this happened before we got married. But I knew if we got married, it would be okay. I knew if we got married, it would be different. And, and I, I know today that I couldn't do it any other way. I always swore that I would never, ever end up in a violent situation when I grow up because there was a lot of violence in my home when I was a child. With nothing in the middle of the night, you hear screams and flesh against flesh and broke, dishes being broke and furniture being destroyed, me and my sisters running out in the middle of the night, screaming and crying and begging for help, and blood all over the place, and I swore that would never, ever happen to me. But you know what? It could not happen to me, because I am who I am inside, and I'm comfortable with the only thing I know, until I change. Until I change, I'm going to keep end up in the same kind of places, and the same kind of people, and the same kind of situations. The change has to come from what's inside me, not on the outside of me. Because if I don't change inside, I'm not going to be comfortable with anything new or different on the outside. And you taught me that. The program of Recovery and Alcoholics Anonymous has taught me that. And it's a, it's a freedom. It's the biggest freedom I've ever had in my entire life. Because you know what? I can see now when I'm going to get my, when that could happen and I can move away. I don't have to get in the situations anymore. But until I come to you and learn to heal and learn to grow, number one, learn how to get sober first, then learn how to live this life sober, I couldn't change anything else in my life. See, sickness attracts sickness. And I could stand in a crowd of a million people before I got better, and it was like I had a neon sign on my forehead saying, Victim. <laughs> and, 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 and I just would be attracted to people like that instantly. And I know today that it's not his fault, and I don't have any anger or resentment towards him whatsoever. I tried to change him, and he tried to change me. We didn't know how to be married. I always had a dream when I was a little girl. This is sitting fantasized when everybody would be beating each other up at home, and I'd be back in my room, and I would dream about Prince Charming coming into my life and taking me away from all this. And I always thought, when I grow up and I get married, he'll take care of me for the rest of my life, and I will never, ever have to worry about anything ever again. But see, I didn't know that it isn't like that when you get married. I lived in fantasy worlds a lot. I tried to make my fantasies come true in real life. And I always picked the wrong people to make them come true with, for one thing. <laughs> and another thing, I know it's not reality. 
I know that there, there's certain things you have to do to make a relationship work. There's things you got to do to make your program of recovery work. Nothing is for nothing. You don't just get married and live happily ever after. But I always thought that that was true. I got divorced from this man in 1974, and it was amazing to me I couldn't live without him. I thought I was going to die if I didn't have him. Six months after we were together, I hated his guts, and I couldn't stand him there. <laughs> you know, it was like the fire went out. I always had this game I played. You know, I wanted what I couldn't have, and then when I got it, I didn't want it anymore. It was like a challenge. I don't play those games in my sobriety today. I don't have to play head games in sobriety today. I try to be direct and as honest as I'm capable of being today. I don't play with people's emotions, and I don't allow people to play with my emotions. I just want to be who I am, and that's who I am. And I don't have to pretend to be anybody other than who I am. And that's because of the grace of God and the program of Alcoholics Anonymous working in my life on a daily basis. This program, I believe the greatest gift I've gotten from this program is my sobriety, the ability not to have to pick up a drink or a drug today, and the freedom to be who I really am, like it or not, who I am. And, and I'm grateful for that today. It takes so much confusion out of my life. And it gives me peace of mind. And it gives me the ability to look at you in the eye and not have to hide and keep all these horrible secrets from me and from you. And I don't have to keep trying to run from myself. I always was running from me, you know, and I always took myself with me. <laughs> and and with, as I heard me and talk one time, he said, wherever I go, there I am. <laughs> and if I don't change, nothing around me changes no matter where I go. I tried moving to Illinois, I moved to Arizona, I moved to West Virginia, I moved to Pennsylvania. But you know what? I always end up in the same kind of situation. Most of the moves that I did was with my first husband. We moved from place to place 12 times in one year. Every time he got arrested, we'd leave the state because he'd be hiding from the cops, and I'd go with him. Um, I moved one time after we were divorced myself from Canton to Illinois, and I was there two years. I went there because I got fired from my job here. I went to Illinois, and I come back here because I got fired from my job in Illinois. When I went to Illinois, I was on amphetamine, uh, diet pills, speed from the streets, and I was taking at least 25 hits of those a day. And I was drinking 24 hours around the clock, and at the end of my drinking, I was shooting them up with a needle on top of drinking 24 hours around the clock. Now, I share that with you to let you know it went hand in hand with my alcoholism. I couldn't get high enough, I couldn't get drunk enough, I couldn't get nothing enough. I would take anything I could get my hands on so I wouldn't have to feel the pain of my existence. Because I didn't live. I existed. I existed. I had pain all the time. Getting drunk or getting high didn't make it go away anymore. I couldn't get high anymore. I couldn't get drunk anymore. It was just kind of like this gray tunnel and nothing ever changed. It just seemed like it was never ending. Everywhere I went, I seen people laughing at me. I seen them talking about me. I seen them making fun of me. It's hard to be a waitress when your customers are making faces at me, you know? <laughs> you get a wig on them and they make all these weird faces and just throw your food at them and take off on them. And, and that's what was happening to me. And I thought it was them. I didn't know that it was because I was drinking so much and taking those pills so much that I was imagining this, that I was paranoid. I really believed it was them. And I was like that for almost a year. It just went on and it went on and it went on. I got divorced in 74 from my first husband. And in 19, and that's when my drinking got real, real bad. From 1974 to 1977, I was pure health. I had a daughter born into that marriage, and she's the greatest blessing in my life today. She says, I'm one of her best friends today. 
When I was new in AA, when I was drinking, she didn't want to live with me. She would beg me not to make her to come home from babysitters because she didn't want to be with me. She would cry when she would come home and she'd see that I had a party and there was booze bottles all over the house. And I'd be having a hangover and I'd be shaking apart and I didn't want her to make a noise because she might disturb the princess. Okay? And I need her lean on me like a little Cinderella. Bring me this, bring me that, bring me this, bring me that. She didn't even notice the cable was turned off. The lights were shut off. She sit in the dark all day long because I didn't pay the bills. And I didn't allow her to move when I had a hangover. When she disturbed me, I'd tell her to shut up or I was never coming home. She was very, very insecure. She'd bite her fingernails. She'd pull eyelashes out. She'd twist her hair. She would wring her hands. If she broke anything, she would cry hysterically because she was afraid of how I was going to react to her. And I think the biggest lie I ever told myself in my entire life is you're not hurting anybody but yourself. Because anybody who gave a damn about me, I hurt. And I took advantage of them. And I didn't care about them because I was so wrapped up in me and I had this you only attitude. I know that ain't nobody owes me anything. If I got what I deserved, I wouldn't be standing here talking to you. I can tell you that. <laughs> I'll either be six feet under or Marysville Reformatory for the rest of my natural life, you know. Uh, I, I uh, am not proud of the way I live my life. I'm not proud of some of the things that happened to me, but I'm grateful for everything that happened just the way it did because I wouldn't be here today if it didn't. I believe I took every drink I needed to take. I took every drug I needed to take. I, everything happens, I believe, in God's time and, and when it's time, it's time. Uh, it's when I fight against that and I don't surrender is when I get into time's trouble. But when I was drinking, my daughter, uh, she would beg me not to go drinking and I would go anyway. There were times she would actually hold her breath until she fainted, and I would go anyway. The first time she did it, it scared me, and I took her to the doctor, and the doctor said she was trying to get attention. And so after I realized that, I would just let her do that. Uh, and then I didn't worry about her anymore. And what happened was, uh, at the end of my drink, and I'm going to get down to my last drunk, I ended up uh, going out on a drunk. I was getting evicted from my apartment. I was supposed to be going apartment hunting, and I didn't come home because I was out drunk. And... Uh, my sister was real angry at me the next day, and she said to me, you do something about your life or I'm having sin taken away from you. And that got my attention because even though I didn't know how to take care of my daughter right, I loved her. The only way I knew how to love anybody. She was my purpose for living. It was like if I lost her, I knew I wouldn't have a reason to live. Anytime I tried to get sober or straighten up my life, it was always for her. I always had this longing in my heart and desire in my heart to be a good mother. I always wanted to be a loving mother. I always wanted to be a responsible mother. But every time I drank, all those good intentions went out the window. I did not know how to show love because I did not love myself. I'd be buying her a new toy or taking her out to a movie once every six months and doing my mother a duty. See, was totally irresponsible. I got bills to my house. I just put new wrong address and send them back, you know. Uh, I didn't take care of any responsibilities. I didn't know how to. And the longer I drank, the worse it became. Uh, I became just like existing. I didn't live. Uh, I didn't know how to put any structure in my life. I didn't know how to be responsible. I didn't want to be responsible. I just wanted to party, 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 party. I thought life was one big party. But what happened was when my sister told me that, I agreed to go to this drug abuse center in downtown Canton. And they told me... Uh, they asked if I wanted to be an inpatient or an outpatient. And when they told me that the inpatient program was 28 days and I was getting evicted from my apartment, I thought, that's great. 
I'll go to that hospital and I'll never have to see that landlady again as long as I live. So I ended up going to Edwin Shaw Hospital in Akron. This was on a Monday. I went to the, that center. I couldn't get a bed until Friday. I didn't know anything about AA. I didn't know anything about treatment centers. I didn't know anything uh, about it. I just heard people say in the, in the bar sometimes that so-and-so got religion and he never came back. Or, or I heard somebody say somebody went to Molly Stark Hospital, which is a treatment center in our area, and they would be laughing and making fun of it. And I used to think it was a TV sanitarium, so I didn't understand what was so funny about that. You know, so I never really connected that they had gone to AA or, or got any kind of help. But, but I knew the last three weeks of my drinking before I ended up having to get some help with help. It was just everything tumbled in on top of everything. Uh, I remember sitting and crying one night and screaming, just begging God to kill me. Just let me die because I don't want to live. And, and I fell down these steps. I looked like I'd been beat up and all it was was from falling down drunk. And I ended up in the, in the hospital three weeks later. I don't believe that that was a coincidence. I believe that that was God working in my life. I believe that he was, he was taking care of me even at that time. Well, I ended up going to this hospital and they searched everything I had and they left me alone in my room for a minute for a while after they searched everything I had. And, and I always share this when I speak because I believe it was my first spiritual awakening in this program. There was some books laying on the dresser and the title of that book was called Alcoholics Anonymous. And just reading the title of that book had a, a tranquilizing effect on me. Uh, it gave me some peace and it, it got my interest and, and it made sense to me. It was like this light bulb went off in my head and, and I started reading in that book. And for the first time in my life, I identified with somebody. I started looking in the stories first, of course, you know. Uh, and the first time in my life, I realized that I wasn't alone, that I wasn't the only person in the world like this, that there was other people in the world like me. See, I always felt like I was something horribly wrong with me. I thought I was no good and I was never going to be any good. I thought I was a bad person. And the biggest hope I ever got was when a member of AA came up there and they said to me, you're not bad, you're sick. You're not bad trying to get good, you're sick trying to get well. Man, I was glad to know I was sick. <laughs> because, man, I thought there was something horribly wrong with me. I was relieved to know that I had an illness. And it gave me a lot of hope when I was there. And after I realized that I was an alcoholic, and I knew that in my head, I knew intellectually I was an alcoholic, okay? I knew that. I couldn't deny that with what people shared. There's no way I could have denied that in my head. And I decided I was going to do everything they told me to do while I was there. And they said, just concentrate on the first couple steps. Don't worry about the rest of them. Just concentrate on that first one. Make sure you understand it at a gut level. But they didn't know you know, I was more intelligent than most people, and I was a really strong person, and I could always handle a lot, and uh, so I was all 12 while I was there, in 28 days. I was on the 12th step by the time I left the treatment center, and when I left, you know, in the big book it says, get them when they're sick, the morning after, and I was ready to carry the message to the still-suffering alcoholic who was my dad. And he'd go get drunk on Saturday night, be laying in bed on Sunday morning, shaking you apart, and I'm in there preaching AA to him. And I take the big book with me, and I'm reading it to him. And I remember one time, God loved him, he was laying on the bed, and he put his pillows over his ears, and he said, leave me alone, you know? And, and I'm always after him, after him, every day for about three weeks. I call him on the phone every day, we may that it's your feeling. Dad, this is you, Dad, this is you, this is you, this is you, this is you. But I never once focused on me. I was so obsessed with trying to make him better that I didn't do anything with me. What happened was these friends who didn't want anything to do with me at the end of my drinking, all of a sudden came to my house with a case of beer, wanting to be my friend. 
and I, told, I didn't want to make them mad, even though they were speaking to me before I went to treatment. And they came into my apartment, and I lasted 45 minutes, and I ended up drinking. And that was my last drunk. My last drunk lasted one night. And then one night, the police come and took my daughter, and they were going to put her in a foster home. And I'm real, real grateful that it happened quick. Because when I woke up the next day, I went in until blackout on my fourth beer. I had just started my fourth beer and don't remember anything after that. The police, I guess, were at my house that night, beating on the door, pounding on the windows, trying to get me to come too. I'd locked my daughter outside in the middle of the night and didn't even know. I'd scared her and she went out on the porch and I shut the door behind her and uh, locked it. And I lived in a real, real bad neighborhood. As a matter of fact, when I was sober six months, the apartment I lived in was condemned because it wasn't fit to live in. I remember the neighbors next door to me had 13 dogs in their backyard. And kids would throw trash in my window, and I would go to tell them not to, and the parents would be going to beat me up all the time, you know? And, and, and it was real, real bad. And her to be out on the streets at 4 o'clock in the morning. I said, please come and pick my daughter, and they were going to put her in a foster home. And I'm real, real grateful that it happened quick. Because when I woke up the next day, I went until blackout on my fourth beer. I had just started my fourth beer and don't remember anything after that. The police, I guess, were at my house that night, beating on the door, pounding on the windows, trying to get me to come too. I'd locked my daughter outside in the middle of the night and didn't even know. I'd scared her and she went out on the porch and I shut the door behind her and uh, locked it. And I lived in a real, real bad neighborhood. As a matter of fact, when I was sober six months, the apartment I lived in was condemned because it wasn't fit to live in. I remember the neighbors next door to me had 13 dogs in their backyard. And kids would throw trash in my window, and I would go to tell them not to, and the parents would be going to beat me up all the time, you know? And, and, and it was real, real bad. And her to be out on the streets at 4 o'clock in the morning. And the neighbors called the police, and the police came, and they took her. And she, by the grace of God, remembered my sister's phone number that night and asked them if she could go to my sister's house. And they told me they did it for her, not for me. And I better straighten my act up. This was my last chance. As a result of that drunk, I had to go to welfare to prove that I was a fit mother. I had to show that I was going to meetings. Uh, and I went, had gone to like three meetings in that three weeks that I'd been out of treatment. See, but I took those meetings very lightly. I thought after I went through the hospital, I had it made. I was sure I was going to live happily ever after, that I would never drink ever again. <laughs> And, and I know today everything I learned there went to my head and not to my heart. I knew that I was an alcoholic in my head, but I hadn't accepted my own lack of power. I thought I still had the power to keep myself sober. I thought I still had the strength on my own willpower to keep me sober. I didn't know my lack of power. After that last drunk, I believed my admission from my head went to my heart. And it was just, they say from your head to your heart's about 18 inches. Sometimes it's a long, long time to get from there to there. But it won't work for me until it's there. And after that last drunk, my excuses all went away, and I finally knew I didn't know. I finally knew I didn't know, and I needed someone to help me know how to stay sober, because I can't do this by myself. And I went crawling back to one of the meetings I'd been to in those three weeks, and one of the ladies that had been at that meeting when I was there before was there again, and I was hoping she would be, because she was real kind to me. And I asked her if I could talk to her, and she said, yeah. And I told her what I'd done. And I thought she might kick me out of AA or something, but she didn't. And uh, uh, she told me to keep coming back. She gave me her phone number, and I started calling her every day. When I was new in Alcoholics Anonymous, I didn't have a phone. I didn't know how to drive a car. I never drove a car before in my life. 
I, never, I didn't want to learn how to drive because I wanted to drink, and I knew what I did when I got drunk. I was crazy, and I knew what I would do if I was driving a car and be drunk, and I would rather drink, so I never learned. Um, and I didn't have a telephone. I was on welfare. Um, my income was $145 a month, and my rent was $135 a month. And you told me to keep my sobriety first, and if I kept my sobriety first, that I my needs would be provided for. You didn't say my wants, but you said my needs were. I know today if my wants would have been, I would have been dead a long time ago because I wanted what I wanted a lot of times wasn't good for me. <laughs> it wasn't good for me, and I didn't know. All I knew is I don't want to drink anymore. I wanted to stay sober, and I became teachable, and I finally became willing to go to any lengths to stay sober. The lady that I talked to became my sponsor, and I started calling her. I'd have to go to a payphone to call her, and sometimes I would say, well, I don't have a quarter to call you, I can't call you anymore. She'd say, here, <laughs> she'd give me a quarter to call. Uh, I started looking for jobs during this time, and I went to factories. I had this grandiose thought that I needed to get this factory job that was going to pay me about $15 an hour, when all I've ever done all my life is be a waitress and a barmaid and, and work for a minimum wage in tips, you know? And I think I'm going to start out on the top. Well, I put about 20 applications in taking buses from place to place to place to place, and nothing ever worked out. And one day I went out to the hospital to... My sponsor was going out there to talk to, to the patient, and she asked me to go with her, and I went out there with her, and this man was there from BVR, and he said, would you like to go to school? And I said, yeah. And, and about three weeks later, I was in school, and I went to business college for a year when I was sober, about six months. When I was sober six months, my apartment was condemned, and I moved into low-income housing, and that was a step up for me. And it was a nice place compared to some of the places that I had lived. Um, I lived there for about two and a half years in my sobriety. All I knew is I didn't want to drink anymore, and I kept coming back, and I went to meetings every day of the week. I would take buses to meetings, I would walk to meetings, I would call from a payphone to get rides to meetings. My sponsor did not take me to meetings every day of the week. She would take me when she was going, which was two or three times a week. She, that's why she told me to get phone numbers and call other people. I'm so grateful for that today. I'm real grateful I didn't know how to drive because I'm very proud and independent. And had I known how to take care of myself real well and not had to ask people for help, I probably wouldn't have. And I believe everything that I had to do and have to do to stay sober is all for my best interest. Even though at the time that I'm going through it, I don't realize it. I don't realize it. And I'm so grateful that I had to work real hard because it gave me a foundation. It gave me a foundation in recovery. My sponsor used to tell me I need to put the happy energy on my sobriety as I did to go get drunk. Because <laughs> I used to work real hard to get drunk and stay drunk. I mean, I'd lie, I'd cheat, I'd steal, I'd walk, I'd hitchhike, I'd take buses, I would go out in blizzards, I would do anything I had to do to get a drink. And that's how I was with my sobriety and still am do anything I have to do to stay sober. And I want to stay sober more than anything in the world. Drinking is not an option for me anymore. It's not an option. If I drink, I'm dead, and I know that. I remember a man when I was in the hospital saying, and it's always stuck with me, it was like his voice in my head the day after my last drunk said, you might have another drunk coming, but you can never be guaranteed another recovery. And I believed that with all my heart. And after my last drunk, I didn't think, didn't, I knew I didn't have another recovery coming, and I still feel that way to this very day. Today I come to meetings, I want to come to meetings. I love to go to AA meetings. When I was new, I didn't want to go. Uh, I didn't have any place else to go. And, and my sponsor said, well, try it for six months, and if you don't like it, we'll refund all your misery. <laughs> I said, thank you very much. She always had a way with words, you know. They told me to bring my body and my mind would follow. 
And, and a lot of things uh, was told to me when I was new that was very simple, basic, that I could understand. I couldn't understand a lot of, of other things. I had to have it very simple and very basic. I just didn't drink. I tried to read the big book and I came to meetings. My sponsor said, pray for the strength to stay sober in the morning. Get on your knees at night and thank God for your sobriety. And I said, well, I don't know if I believe or not. She said, I don't care if you know if you believe or not. Do it anyway. She said, if you want to stay sober, do it. And she said, I promise. She said, I said, well, I don't feel the feelings. I don't want to be a hypocrite. And she said, she doesn't care if I feel the feelings or not. She said, it don't matter if you're feeling the feelings or not. Go through the emotions and the emotions will follow. She said, she promised me that if I would pray in the morning, give thanks at night, read a meditation book in the morning, go to meetings and not drink in between meetings, that I would know that there was a God and I would know that he was the one that was giving me the strength I needed to stay sober on a day-to-day basis. And she said, I don't know when that will happen for you. I don't know if it will be a year. I don't know if it will be a week. I don't know if it will be five years. All I know is I promise you, if you do that on a daily basis consistently, that someday you're going to know that God's there and he's going to touch your life. And I believed her. I don't know why I believed her. That's exactly what happened. Uh, one day I had peace that I'd never had before in my life. One day I felt this warm glow from head to toe. And I knew that God is there. And I knew that he was giving me the strength that I needed to stay sober. And that I never had to be alone again unless I chose to be. No matter where I was at and no matter who I was with. That he was always going to be beside me and take care of me. And the longer I'm sober, the more I know that to be true. And you know, even when I was new in the program, I still had a dream. I had a dream that Prince Charming would come into my life in sobriety and he would ask me to marry him and we'd live happily ever after and be this wonderful AA couple. And that dream came true. I was sober two years before that man came into my life. My sponsor said, no emotional relationships for at least a year. I know that's not a rule in AA. The big book says we have no opinion on that controversy. But if our sexual conduct or our conduct continues to harm others, we most certainly will drink. And I believe the big book. I try to live in a way today that don't hurt other people. If I offend anybody and I realize that I will admit that I'm wrong, I don't want to hurt anybody today. My intentions in my heart are not to hurt anybody or to take advantage of people. I just want to know how to love them unconditionally. And also it's just as important for me to learn how to be willing to accept their unconditional love. Because see, it's real easy for me to take care of you. But it's hard for me because of pride and ego to let other people do things for me. But see, I'm being real selfish if I don't let somebody do something for me too. It takes that, it takes just as much to learn how to do that as it does to give. It's real easy for me to be a caretaker. I can take care of the whole world, you know. I was that way all my life. I always took care of everybody else. Then when I had to focus on them and I said, run away from me. I don't have to do that today. We, it's like interdependent. I'm dependent on you, you're dependent on me, we depend on each other. Number one, I'm dependent on God. He's my number one priority in my life, and he's my best friend. And he will never leave me or let me down or abandon me or leave me alone to take, take care of everything by myself if I'm willing to let him into my life and take over. And, and I believe that with all my heart. And I'm sharing my own experience, strength, and hope with you and what it's been like for me and my sobriety. Well, Prince Charming came into my life when I was sober two years, okay? He wasn't really. It fell into place just the way he told me it would. He told me if I kept sobriety first and I worked on me, 
And I, I learned to have a relationship with the God of my understanding for my sobriety. And when God knew that my relationship with him was strong enough to help me stay sober, then he, and I was ready for a relationship, he would let me meet somebody. And that's exactly what happened. I was at a meeting one night. This man was there. I'd never met him before. He went over to my sponsor's house afterwards. The whole meeting did, and he asked me for my phone number. And I thought, God, this is strange. And he started calling me every day from there on. He went away for a month, and I missed him. <laughs> and, and I thought, where did this come from? But it fell right into place. We were engaged a year, and we got married when I was sober three years. And we were married for eight years and together nine years, and I'm real, real grateful for that experience of sobriety. I believe that it was meant to be that we got married, but I also know that I've learned in my sobriety that when a person's purpose has been served or taught you what you need to learn from that experience, then sometimes we have to go in different directions. And when in October of 1987, my husband told me that he was going to leave me. And I didn't know there was anything wrong <laughs> in the marriage. Uh, we went to lots of AA anniversaries, lots of AA conferences. Uh, we, you know, I used to say in my league that we had the only kind of marriage that I could give a man or woman. And it's, uh, that uh, he was my best friend, and uh, I believe that that was true. But people change, times change, circumstances change. And, and that's one thing that my friend, a friend of mine in program always says that I can expect if I'm living a spiritual life is change. And I know today that everything that happens in my life just can come out of it if I look at it with the right reason. But when he left me, I didn't handle it very well. I never let go of anything without leaving claw marks all over it, you know. Uh, I wanted, didn't want a divorce. And anyway, I hadn't been taking care of myself for a long, long time. I went through a period of time when my daughter was drinking and using, and a friend robbed her house three times in one year. But I was strong all the way through that. I didn't even get mad when her house got robbed. You know, uh, I, she was in treatment. She went to treatment, and we went through a lot of changes. Uh, lots and lots of things had happened over the period of years. I know that I hadn't dealt with inside. I was strong. I was taking care of everything. I was working real hard. He was working real hard. We bought a home. We had two cars. We had a truck. But all these material things, everything was just wonderful. But see, I got so obsessed with the gifts that I put them above the giver. It was that simple. I didn't spend quality time with my friends anymore. I wasn't spending quality time in my quiet time and meditation in the mornings anymore. But anyway, what happened is whenever he left, I ended up having a breakdown. And I ended up in the hospital for like two and a half weeks. And I was sober 10 years. And I'm on my way to the hospital. My friends in AA are taking me. And I'm crying and I'm crying. I'm saying, God, how can this be happening to me? I'm 10 years sober. And this man come up in front of us with this big, bright bubble sticker that says, shit happens. Yeah. <laughs> I'll never forget that as long as I live because we laughed. I was in the hospital for two and a half weeks. <laughs> they fixed me emotionally, but Alcoholics Anonymous healed me spiritually. Mean, they fixed me physically, but Alcoholics Anonymous healed me spiritually and emotionally. I came to meetings seven days a week. I was shaken. I felt like I had drank and I hadn't had a drink. I felt like all the program that I'd been working for ten years was all wrong and it wasn't working anymore. Uh, I didn't know all that was going on with me. It was real, real frightening. But I know today that I believe then and I believe today it was a spiritual experience because it helped me to know how much I needed God. Anything that I've ever lost, drunk or sober, everything, if anything that I've ever lost in my sobriety has taught me my need for God and how powerless I am. See, I accepted I was powerless over alcohol and drugs, but I hadn't accepted how powerless I was over people, places, things, and conditions. I was still trying to arrange and control everything and everybody around me just the way I always had done. And I wasn't drinking and I wasn't using. 
I was still fighting things. I still wanted everybody to be the way I wanted them to be. There's no way they could. And I learned that lack of power is my dilemma. And I learned to surrender my entire life and will over to the care of God as I understand Him, not just parts of it. And that's brought me more peace and happiness than I've ever had in my entire life. This thing that happened about, was about six years ago. During that time, I rec- my husband and I reconciled. Uh, he told me he was moving home. We went back together for about a month. I lost my job because I let him come home. They said that it's never going to work unless you get help. You see, I was still in control and I was still strong. And I was demanding God to bring him home, and he did. And then what happened was I lost the job. Uh, my husband was working late one night in February of 1988. He said he was going to be coming home late. He hasn't come home yet. <laughs> <laughs> My dad died at that time. Uh, I had to get rid of my house because I had to go bankrupt. And all those things happened within a period of six months. It was like one day I had this big happy family. Six months later I'm sitting there alone. My daughter got married that year also. And it was like everything was gone and I'm sitting there with me. And I don't know what to do. And I'm real scared. And, and then I got this thought, my God just said, if you're staying sober for your job, for your husband, for your dad, for your daughter, for anybody other than you, I think you're screwed. <laughs> but I know today that I'm staying sober for me. And my sobriety is a gift from God. I'm grateful for everything that's happened in my life, just the way it's happened. All those things have pretty much been reestablished. I'm healing today. I'm freer today than I've ever been in sobriety. And when my husband didn't come home, I didn't know what I was going to do. We'd only lived in our home one year. And I'd lost my job. And I always um, try to share this story to let you know that the promises in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous do come true from working this steps. I'm saying, God, I don't know what to do. You're going to have to take this. I'm powerless. And this thought came to my mind. Sell your house. And I thought, oh, God. I know that. I don't know what. I never had that thought before. And it was like peace with it. So I just got up and called a real estate man, and I, I made an appointment. He came and looked at the house, and I signed the papers, and when he walked out the door, he said, Dixie, he'll take us about a year to sell this for the price that you want. And I said, okay, whatever. So when he left, I got on my knees, and I said, God, if you want me to stay here, show me how. I don't know how. If you want me to sell it, show me how. But it's in your hands, because I'm powerless. An hour after the real estate man left, he called me back and said he had a couple that wanted to look at my house. They came and looked at it, and an hour later, they signed the papers to buy it, and they paid cash for it. And within a month, I was moved out of there, and it sold in two hours. And I knew that God was doing for me what I couldn't do for myself, because I didn't have a way out. God gave me a way out. He showed me a way out. And the miracle of Alcoholics Anonymous and God working in my life, I never one time had a desire to pick up a drink or a drug. I wanted to commit suicide, but I did not want to drink or drink. <laughs> but I didn't actively attempt suicide. I know today that God loves me because He's good, not because I'm good. I fall short many, many days, but I keep trying. But I know that I can't get up and I can't have the strength to live this life without His help. And that without Him and without you and without this program, I'm absolutely nothing. I'm absolutely nothing. He gives me a meaning and a purpose in my life and a reason to live. Give me a reason to work, get up in the morning. A reason to have happiness in my life and to feel like a useful, productive citizen. You give me a way of life that helps me be comfortable with anybody or anything wherever I'm at. I can look you in the eye today and have self-respect because you love me back to health. I have trust in you today. I have people that trust me today. I have respect from other people today. 
have a good relationship with my daughter today. I know how to be honest today, to the best of my ability, and I try. I know today that the longer I'm sober, the less I know, and the less powerless I am, and the more powerless I am over lots and lots of things. But the more powerless and the more I surrender areas of my life each day, the more freedom I have. Because it takes a big load off my shoulders. Because my father told me once, play God or be God. You know? I mean, be, be God or trust God. You know, and I don't have to play God with people's lives anymore. Uh, it's been a real privilege and honor for me to talk to you today. Uh, I, I get nervous and sometimes my uh, mouth's running faster than my mind and I don't catch up. Uh, my dad said to me one time, just see, just have a job where you can run your mouth and run your ass off, you'd be happy. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all I can honor is providing that for me. And then for that, I'm truly, truly blessed. Uh, I thank all of you for being my friends. Uh, I, I thank you for, for well, making me feel so welcome and for being such fine examples. And God bless all of you. I love you.